For our text, we'll look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Very familiar words to most of us. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I have to admit, on Friday night I was getting a little nervous when Brother Ryan Trotter was preaching. I thought he was going to preach my entire sermon for me, but he took it a little different direction. He mentioned about waiting on the Lord. Certainly that's a big part of trusting the Lord, but this morning with God's help we'll consider what it means to trust in the Lord. Trust occurs 134 times in the Old Testament alone. The word trust is a belief that someone, something is reliable, good, and honest. It's an assured reliance on the character, ability, and truth of someone or something. We know trust is often synonymous with the word faith. They're much the same. You can't really have one without the other. Without both, it's impossible to please the Lord. I thought of an acronym for the word faith that I I didn't think of it, but I remember it. It's fantastic adventures in trusting him. So we can see faith and trust are closely related. Some have said faith is a gift of God. We know that's also true. The Bible says every man is given the measure of faith. It's also been said trust is what we do with that gift. Trust is fragile, easy to break, easy to lose, and one of the hardest things to ever get back. Trust can take years to build and only moments to shatter, yet we know it can be restored. We're thankful for that through repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation and a lot of hard work and effort. Trust can be restored. Everybody trusts in something. The Bible tells us some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Trust is only as good as the object in which it is placed. This morning, God invites us to place our trust in someone who will never fail. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So when we consider what it means to trust the Lord, we'll consider four aspects of what that means. Why should we trust the Lord? How should we trust the Lord? What are the benefits of trusting the Lord? And what are the consequences when we don't? Why should we trust the Lord? Well, consider the Lord's character and his reputation. You know, if you were to build a house, you would go to a reputable builder who had a good reputation, who was trustworthy. If you were looking to invest, you would go to a well-known financial advisor who had a proven track record. You would trust their character. Well, consider the character of God. Psalm 18, verse 30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust Him. That word buckler means one that shields and protects. His way is perfect. You know, you have absolutely nothing to risk by placing your trust in the Lord. How could you? God's way is perfect. What does that mean? His way is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. 
He doesn't have errors in judgment. He's never unjust, never unfair, never has to apologize. God is perfect. His ways are perfect. Even if we don't agree with them, doesn't change. And then God's ways are still perfect. We can trust Him. The word of the Lord is tried. You know, it doesn't say His way is easy. Nowhere in Scripture will you see that being a Christian or living a godly Christian life doesn't give us immunity from the storms of life. But we have some wonderful promises. David wrote this psalm after the Lord had delivered him from his enemies. Difficult times for David. Yet one thing he knew, that God could be trusted completely in the midst of his trials. He was also given the promise of God that God would protect those who trust him. So we can trust the character of God. God is unchanging. Aren't we thankful for that? He tells us, I am the Lord God. I change not. Psalm 118, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God is not like many politicians and political figures and leaders today. God never changes his position on things. You know, a man is still a man. A woman is still a woman. From the beginning of time, it says God created them male and female. Male and female created he them. That hasn't changed. Changing your pronouns doesn't change the facts or the truth. That is the truth. It's settled in God's Word. God defines what marriage is. Culture has tried to redefine it. God's Word. God created marriage. He sanctified it. Certainly God has the right to define what it is. Between one man, one woman, for life. That is what God's Word says marriage is. We know God and God alone is the giver and taker of life. The sanctity of life is something God established inside the womb and outside of the womb, from the cradle to the grave. Tragically, when that law is violated, there's terrible consequences that are a result of that. Yet we know God's Word is God's Word. Man may try to change God's laws on earth, but it says His Word is forever settled in heaven. You know, the principles and precepts in God's Word are still the same. Those same time-honored truths that were given thousands of years ago are just as applicable to us today. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, it's sad. So many people in the world today have even tried to redefine who Christ is or what He was or what He did. They preach another Christ outside of the Christ of Scripture. But Jesus doesn't change. The message that He spoke and the things that He taught back in His Word are still just as applicable today. They apply to us today. Those things have not changed. When Jesus spoke the words to Nicodemus almost 2,000 years ago, he said, ye must be born again. No man can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. You know what? That applies today. The same law applies today. When Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees to repent or else they would perish, that's the same truth today. In spite of popular culture, 
Jesus did not go around preaching a gospel of tolerance and acceptance. Jesus preached deliverance and repentance. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. That still applies today. You know, the Lord's promises are still the same. His word is the same. That means his promises are still the same. The conditions for those promises to be fulfilled are still the same. He tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9 says, If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know what? You can read those same promises tomorrow. You can read those same promises 10 years from now, and they will say the same thing. They will mean the same thing. God's Word does not change. He's an unchanging God. We're thankful for that. God is always true. Always true. There is one thing God cannot do. One thing it's impossible for God to do. And God says this of Himself. Hebrews 6.18, it says it's impossible for God to lie. Nothing breaks our trust or our confidence more than when we realize we've been lied to or deceived or misled, God will never, ever do that. He won't. He won't break His covenant. He won't break His Word. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Jesus always spoke the truth and He did it in love. Even when it was something the listener didn't always want to hear. Again, Jesus never affirmed one single person in their sin. Jesus is more concerned about saving a person's soul than saving their feelings. So he spoke the truth in love because he realized to leave somebody in sin would condemn them. So Jesus spoke the truth in love and the same requirements are the same today. Jesus came to save his people from their sins through repentance, surrender, and through forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. That's how we're saved. There's nothing has changed. The Lord has promised to direct our paths. Have you ever been in a situation when you weren't sure what to do? Maybe you didn't know which direction to take. Maybe you were trying to discern the Lord's will. I'll tell you something this morning. This will revolutionize your relationship with the Lord. If you're in a situation like that, get on your knees and ask God to show you. It's that simple. It really, truly is. We can complicate things, but we can ask God in faith, Lord, show me what to do. Show me what to say. Show me how to react. God will do it. The Bible says if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Of course, part of trusting the Lord is when He tells us what He wants us to do. We need to be willing to obey the voice of the Lord, but God will direct our paths. The Lord has our best interests in mind. You know, we wouldn't think of trusting somebody who wasn't concerned about our well-being. Well, that's not the case with God. The Bible tells us, Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the thoughts I have toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected 
end. God knows what's best for us. God wants to lead us in a plain path. I think we've established why we should trust the Lord. How should we trust God? Well, that verse tells us that as well. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. It doesn't say trust in the Lord with half thine heart. It doesn't work that way. When it mentions the heart, of course, it's not talking about that organ that pumps blood through the body. It's speaking about the seat of our emotions. It's the core of who we are. It's our entire being, our bodies, our souls, and our minds, our dreams, our hopes, everything. It's the essence of who we are. That's what we're supposed to trust the Lord with, our entire being and our entire person. You know, when you come to the Lord seeking to be saved, you don't come with any bargaining power. It's not a quid pro quo like we heard so much about. When you come to the Lord, it's not, Lord, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. No, it's a complete surrender. We simply say, Lord, here's my life. Whatever you ask, whatever you require, I'll give it to you, Lord, if you'll just save me. God has all the negotiating power. We do not. And when we come to the Lord, we have to come with our whole hearts. Same thing when we're sanctified. When you're consecrating things to the Lord and you're seeking to draw closer to the Lord, when you want to be set apart for the Lord's service, we consecrate every area of our lives to the Lord. It's completely letting go. I heard a story a while back. There was a man, he was out hiking on a trail and it was close to the edge of a cliff. And he got distracted and looked away. And as a result, he tumbled over the side of the cliff. And as he was going down, he grabbed a hold of a branch that was jutting out of the rocks. And he looked up and he called out. He said, God, are you up there? God said, I'm right here. And he said, God, can you help me? Of course, God said, yes, I can help you. And then God asked him, are you going to trust me? The man said, yes, Lord, I'll trust you. God said, let go of the branch. Well, there was a long pause, and after a while, the man called out and said, is there anybody else up there that can help me? <laughs> Sometimes letting go is difficult. It's hard. We want to hang on to things, but a total commitment is just that, trusting the Lord with everything, whatever He may require. It says we're not to lean to our own understanding. You know, I think this does more to get in the way than anything else. You know, understanding something first is not a prerequisite for trusting and obeying the Lord. Often just the opposite is true. Man may say, God, show me and I'll trust you. God often says, no, trust me and then I'll show you. You think of the account of Naaman, the leper. He was a mighty man of valor, great military hero but he was a leper. There was one battle he wasn't going to win, and that was his personal battle with leprosy. Leprosy has often been compared to sin for good reason. One battle we can't win on our own is our battle against sin. But of course, because of the testimony of a little maiden in his house, he went to Samaria to find Elisha the prophet. When he got there, Elisha sent out a servant, gave word to Naaman. He said, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. How complicated was that? That simple act of obedience was the key to Naaman's victory. But when Naaman heard this, 
he went ballistic. That's my version. That's not what the Bible says, but it says he was wroth. He turned away angry and upset. You see, he came with his own ideas, his own understanding of how this was going to happen. He expected three things to happen. He said, behold, I thought. There was his problem right there. He expected Elijah to show up himself. He expected him to call on God in some dramatic fashion. And he expected him to wave his arms around and make his healing a huge event. Well, when none of this happened, it said Naaman went away wroth. He went away angry. You see, he thought he could dictate the terms of how God was going to heal him. He was leaning to his own understanding. Behold, I thought. Well, fortunately, his story doesn't end there. He reconsidered, and after his uh, servants came and reasoned with him, he decided to do it God's way. And once he did, we know God healed him completely, just as he promised. You know what? The message didn't change. His stubbornness did. God's commandments and requirements didn't change. It was Naaman's attitude that had to change. God wasn't going to change His Word to accommodate Naaman's own thoughts or his own desires. No, Naaman had to abandon his own thoughts and ideas to obey the Lord. He had to come God's way. Of course, once he did, he was healed and cured of that leprosy. Once he learned to fully trust and obey the Lord, Naaman was changed from the inside as well as the outside. He went from, behold, I thought, to behold, now I know. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offerings nor sacrifices unto other gods, but unto the Lord." Naaman realized once he was willing to set aside his own ideas, trust the Lord completely, follow in faith and obedience, God gave him the victory. It's the same thing today, same formula. If you're here this morning and you're sick and you're lost, you're dying in your sins, you're going to have to give up your own way of thinking. You can't come to the Lord and tell him how he's supposed to do it. The Lord will tell you how to do it. It's through repentance, surrender, not by our own understanding. You'll never be able to think your way out of sin. You'll never be able to reason your way out of sin. It has to be God's way. You know, Naaman thought he could find another, originally thought he could find another river to bathe in and he'd be cleansed. Something a little more appetizing or appealing. Of course, he found out it had to be the Jordan. People think there's other ways to wash away their sins. There's only one fountain we can go to. Calvary stream. We have to be washed in the blood of Jesus. That's the only way for deliverance. But that's God's way, and God will keep His promises. You know, when we think about trust, can't help consider, but consider Abraham. We heard a little about him in our Scripture reading. You think about what God asked Abraham to do. Go to a place he'd never been. Abraham said he obeyed and went out not knowing whither he went. God promised him a son in his old age. He said, through thy seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That was quite a promise. Considering Naaman, or excuse me, considering Abraham was well into his 90s, 100 years old, that wasn't naturally possible. It said, 
he didn't consider his body being now dead, neither considered he the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah had been barren her entire life, well stricken in years, and God gives him this promise. The Bible says Abraham did not stagger at God's promises through unbelief, but he was fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Then God asked Abraham to do something, probably the most difficult thing he ever asked him to do, and that was to offer up his own son. You know, if ever there was a time when Abraham would have wavered in his faith or could have abandoned his trust in the Lord, that would have been the time. But how did he respond? It said he was willing to do so, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. He was fully persuaded. Well, how did God respond to Abraham's trust in his faith? Genesis 22, verse 16 through 18, it says, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. Thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. His trust in the Lord. Because he trusted the Lord, he was able to be a blessing to countless others. Of course, we know through Abraham's seed, the nation of Israel was born. Out of Israel sprang forth Christ. All the nations of the earth were blessed because of Abraham's faith and trust, confidence in God. But the most important thing it says, because Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. In other words, in response to Abraham's faith and trust, he was declared righteous and justified in God's sight. That's what we all want. It happens when we trust and obey the Lord. What are the benefits of trusting God? How about perfect peace? Does that sound good? Would you like to have it? Is it even possible to have it? Well, yes, it is. God's Word says it is, and we have a choice. You can have perfect peace this morning if you do what God's Word says. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because thou trusteth in thee. How about mercy? Psalm 32, 10 says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. You want to be surrounded by God's mercy? Trust the Lord. How about safety and protection? I read just somewhere the other day that many believe we've never lived in a more dangerous time in our world than we do today with all of the conflicts going on around the world with the lawlessness and the crime. Disease is rampant. Things seem to be spinning out of control. People feel unsafe, oftentimes even in their own homes. But in the midst of all that, you can have God's safety and protection. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Psalm 44 just kind of encapsulates the whole thing. It says, Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. Well, what are the consequences of not trusting God? I'll read just one verse, Jeremiah 17.5. Thus saith the Lord, 
Cursed be the man that trusteth man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. God just lays it all out. You can be blessed or you can be cursed. There is a saying, choices have consequences. That is absolutely true. If you're willing to trust the Lord, you can, I don't like to say suffer the consequences, you'll reap the consequences, peace, protection, the hope of heaven. Or you can reject the Lord and be cursed. You know, everyone will leave here this morning trusting in something. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some may trust in their riches. It's not my problem, but some people might have that problem. But it says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Some people trust in their own goodness to get them by. The Bible says our own righteousness is like filthy rags in the Lord's sight. That's not going to do it. Some people lean on their own understanding. You may leave this place leaning on your own understanding, but it says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What we trust in and who we trust in will one day determine where we spend eternity. But trust is a choice. You have a choice this morning. You know, when it comes to the promises of God, are you fully persuaded that what God said He's promised to do, He can do? Or do you stagger through unbelief? Or maybe you're wavering somewhere in between. You want to believe the Lord. You want to trust God, but you're struggling. You know, you can find help at these altars of prayer. I thought of that prayer that man prayed when he came seeking the Lord for healing for his son. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. I love that man's response. So many times I've felt this way myself in tears. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. The Lord will help your unbelief this morning if you're willing to trust the Lord. The Lord will help you. The Lord can save you. Sanctify holy. can fill you with the Holy Spirit. give you guidance, direction, and you can leave this place this morning trusting the Lord, knowing your name's in heaven, knowing you're ready to meet the Lord. There's no greater peace than that. It's available today. Let's sing Psalm 488. Let's come and seek the Lord.